Welcome to Rob and Tony's Cinematic Adventure. I'm Rob Wilson. And I am Charlie DePono. Now, in the last episode we did uh, Back to the Future, and now we're going to move on to the sequel, the first of the sequels, Back to the Future Part 2. We're going to talk about the continuing adventures of Marty McFly traveling through time in a time-traveling DeLorean. And Doc Brown. Doc Brown's travels. Yes. Doc Brown travels with him in this one, too. And uh, before we get started, spoiler alert for anybody who has not seen Back to the Future Part 2 yet, we will be talking about the entire movie. So beginning, middle, and end, all of the fun stuff that happens in it. And if you have not seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled, then go ahead and pause the podcast, go watch the movie, and come back and continue listening. If you don't care about spoilers, then just keep listening. Hopefully we can give you a good discussion. Now that that's out of the way, Back to the Future Part 2. The movie starts out replaying the final scene of Back to the Future, like shot for shot, redoing it. Right. <laughs> One of the three times they had to film that scene. Shot for shot, but with an older Michael J. Fox. Yes, with an older Michael J. Fox and a different actors playing <laughs> Jennifer. Everything else is the same. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so we found out, actually we found out at the end of the first movie, the very end, that the DeLorean yeah, can fly end. now. And it doesn't need plutonium in order to create the nuclear reaction that generates the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity that allows the time machine to travel through time. We also learn that something has to be done about their kids. Yes. About Marty and Jennifer's about Marty kids. And, Jennifer's kids. and an interesting little addition to the scene that we didn't see at the end of the first movie because uh, it cut out right after the DeLorean disappeared in the sky. And just as they were doing that, what we find out at the beginning of this one is Biff is running out of the house to show Marty the matchbooks that he had made for his That's auto detailing business. And then he sees the DeLorean flying away. And thinks it's odd that there's a flying DeLorean, which then comes back later in the movie. It's right. referenced no, again later. Ma- it's a interesting little detail. It's like it's kind of funny. It's like a little Chekhov's gun in a way. Yeah, it, like you said, it comes back, but it's a good setup. You know, like you said, it's the little detail there, and it's an important detail. Not just a good season. You know, it really helps. Not going to know it quite yet, but. It does set up kind of the main driving force of the rest of the movie and movies, really, because Back to the Future 3 is also going to blend right into the whole trilogy as part of the story. Because Biff's going to be a major factor in the rest of the series. Yes, he will. And it's a, um, you know, it's a good start. It's a good way to jump back into it before they kind of do the whole credit crawls or flying through the clouds of the future, right? But it's a good start, and it's interesting. I want kind of know want to what you think before we kind of get into the, like nitty gritty of everything. What we think overall of at least the second one itself, since we're going to see it's very much almost three movies itself within one movie. It really is. It really is like a beginning, a middle, and the end, and all vastly different. And it's interesting how you know, very different. I don't want to say thematically, but you know, just tonally. <laughs> I mean, also that's also you because know, it's, obviously that's also because it's three different time periods that it takes place in. Right. Yeah. Because it's gonna. I mean, it takes basically does take place in the alternate present, the future, and the past. I mean, the first couple of minutes are in the like, in the regular present. For Marty, it's really all like twenty four, thirty six hours, which yeah. gets weird when we get to the end of it because he's really loving something that he just happened to him the prior day. Yeah. Most part. But I guess the thing I'm going to talk about to get into details is, I think, well, let's just go, let's say the point for a few minutes from now. 
about we go into kind of what happens next. They, you know, we go through the credits, the flying in the clouds of the future, and Jennifer's there, right? Yes, Jennifer is in the car with them. And so now she's like someone else now that's also observing this whole time travel thing. And she has like, I guess, kind of a typical teen reaction. See our future self, right? She's like, I'm going to see your wedding. Because what girl wouldn't want to see your future wedding, right? Yeah, but after they're flying around dodging the other flying cars, they land in an alley and Doc ends up using a device to knock Jennifer out so that she doesn't mess up the future. Yeah, he doesn't want her to run into her future self. Because if they see their future selves, there's a potential Future-ver- to... Universe-altering paradox. Yeah. <laughs> that that could disrupt the uh, space-time continuum. And so Doc is very careful not to allow either Jennifer or Marty to see their future selves. Yeah. And, he, you know, and he's very specific about this with Marty, which really makes sense. Because, I mean, Marty understands obviously what's going on. Marty has traveled through time before. <laughs> He understands, yeah. and he's been hanging out with Doc for however long they've been friends. So right. he understands Doc on a level that Jennifer can't. But this is where, yeah, this is just, I guess, in some ways, like, nitpicking. So it seems like they're flying awfully fast through the sky, and yet they're traveling very short distances within Hill Valley. Well, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, sorry, I can't can't say that without, you know, damn you, Letterkenny. <laughs> making me say it like that. Anyway, they were going 88 miles per hour when they first got to the future. Yes. So that's, you know, when they first got there, that's why they were traveling so fast. Because they had to reach 88 miles per hour in order to travel through time. Right. So but what's what's the speed of the flying in the sky? What's, like, what would be the speed of the flying in the sky? I don't know. <laughs> good question. There's a kind of, sort of unanswered question. It's like 30 years and this is a giant leap in technology. And yeah. it seems like, you know, I don't know at what point they achieved that. I mean, they've already built sky highways. Yeah. But then still Goldie Wilson's grandson does auto conversions so that your car can hover. So there's definitely still enough people out there that have. Yeah, that like have a regular 19, road driving nine, cars. You know, yeah, yeah, they have, a, you know, a 92 Corolla with 400,000 miles on it. It's like, yeah, I want to get this converted to fly yeah. to the sky. Yeah, I mean, Doc got a 1981 DeLorean hover converted. <laughs> anyway, <So. laughs> just random thought. There's all these random thoughts I have about the future, which is 30 years in the future, 2015. Well, 30 years in the future from 1985, where they started. It's seven years in our past. <laughs> <laughs> so. There'll be details about that, because they drop right in the middle of downtown Hill Valley. It's interesting, because I think the 85 Hill Valley... And the 55 Hill Valley kind of felt very natural. The, the 2015 one definitely felt like a movie set. Yes, it did. But the clock tower is still there. It's still broken. They haven't fixed it yet. Still 10.04, 60 years later. Uh, Steven Spielberg's son uh, has picked up the reins of making Jaws movies. That's right. And Jaws 19 is out. It, it's just kind of funny because like they have like a big hologram shark trying to eat them. <laughs> And like, the effects of it is yep. so bad. And, and Marty even now, even comments on that. <laughs> Says that the shark still looks fake. <laughs> the Texaco is still there. You have the World Series, right? Talk about the Cubs and Marlins. Mm-hmm. Well, not really the Cubs and the Marlins. Talk about Chicago and Miami. Marlins did not exist yet when the movie was made. 
And the Cubs were still, at that point, I guess, about 80 years since they had won a World Series, which became a big deal later around the time the Cubs won the World Series. Yeah. Cause the, in 2016, yes, not in 2015. 2016. So like, the movie was was a year off, which is still, it's it's that's still impressive. <laughs> that they made the movie in the 80s and predicted that the Cubs would win the World Series in 2015, but they won it in 2016. They were only a year off. The, um, the actor, though, in that scene where he's seeing that, that's trying to get him to save the clock tower, he's also in the 1955 section of the movie. And he's the guy that's giving Biff his car back after it's been paired. Oh, you're right. It is. It is the same guy. <laughs> So the question is, is he the same character? Just, you know, now he's like 75, 80 years old or something, whatever. He could be. <laughs> he could be the same character. I mean, he is older in yeah. 2015. Yeah, no, he's definitely an old dude in that movie. Doc talks about they have all this type of stuff to make yourself live longer. Like, Doc says he gets a new spleen. and Yeah. They have that whole face mask. That facial rejuvenation thing, thing that... Yeah, he put the fake mask on so that Marty would recognize him. And then he takes it off and he looks exactly which the also, same. <laughs> which is also a question. is like, how old is Doc Brown? Like, it's never established. No, they didn't. You know, an adult in 1955 and an adult in 1985. Yeah, who looks more or less the exact same. Maybe a, a couple extra wrinkles in the uh, in 85. I think Chris Lloyd's kind of one of those guys... Always kind of looks the same age. Yeah, kind of like uh, Steve Martin. Yep. Just the, those people who gray earlier in life. Yeah. That uh, they'll have a full <laughs> head of gray hair when they're in their thirties. So that's you know that's the setup, right? And then we get back to Central Hill Valley, and in a lot of ways, it's a little way you know as you'll see, it kind of follows basic kind of formula of the first one, at least certain beats of it. He sees an antique shop first, right? Because Doc gives him the instructions that he has to tell his son, Marty's son. Well, not tell him, I guess, right? He's going to replace his son in a cafe. Yes, because Marty and his son look exactly the same. It's not just your typical, the son looks like the father, but you can still tell the two apart. Marty's son looks exactly like Marty. Like they they could be twins. We didn't really even get into this in the first one. Like, Marty... And his dad, like Chris, Crispin Glover, Michael J. Fox, at least within the movie, it's very believable that they're father and son. Yeah, it is. Anyway, yeah, that's the big news then, right? His son gets arrested because of Biff's grandson. Yes, because of Biff's grandson, Griff, who gets Marty McFly Jr. to join him in his illegal activities. Which, and so, uh, we need to talk about this. How does that family keep reproducing in that town? They all stay in Hill Valley. They seem like they're notorious enough of that, but it's all a bunch of just bad guys, bad news. Yes, that is a good question. And I was also thinking, so there is, in each of the time periods, there is some version of Biff, whether some relative of Biff, whether it's an ancestor or descendant or Biff himself. But there's not one in 1985. Because in 55, it was Biff as a teenager. In 2015, it was Biff's grandson. Where's Biff's kid? Where's Biff's son Biff's in 1985? <laughs> or maybe maybe he had a daughter, and that's why she's not in 1985, because maybe she's nice. She's not a bully. But th- there's never any mention of Biff having a child in 1985. Nope. The only other family member we get to meet, beside the one from each time period, we don't even get to meet her, we just hear her voice, is his grandmother. Yes. Which happens later in the movie. But. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which yeah, it's a good question. would yeah. that would that then be stepping into Back to the Future Three? Would that be Buford Mad Dog Tannen's daughter? Yes. Or would uh, or or would she be married to his son? You know, which yeah, no, did, like did Mad Dog have a son or a daughter? And there's a whole other point to this that we'll get into part three about lineage. But I also have questions about. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, it's that, it's that was interesting anyway. that that there's no. There's no Biff equivalent in uh, 1985, except for just adult Biff that was George's bully growing up. Every single one of them is criminal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Biff tries to rape somebody, and then Griff definitely seems like he's a thief, and Mad Dog is a thief and a murderer. Yeah, it's anyway. uh, <laughs> it's it's a very um, it's a great legacy that uh, that family has. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the setup. That's why you know Doc frantically comes back. Says something yes. has to be done about their kids. Their kids. We haven't mentioned that there's also a daughter. Yes, there's a daughter who also looks just like Michael yes. J. Fox because, because she is she is Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox. <laughs> because rather than having Elizabeth Shue play their daughter, <laughs> Michael J. Fox plays both of their kids. Right. I mean, they, they, <laughs> they had they really had two options. Leah Thompson came back for the movie too. Like, yes, she did. She also could have played. Yeah, she could have. <laughs> but they got Michael J. Fox. Yeah. But the person <laughs> she who gets arrested because she tries to break her brother out of jail. No, that's in the original 2015 the chain of events, the 2015 yes. that they're trying to change. So that's, um, you know, that's a chain of events that causes Doc Brown to go back and get Marty and Jennifer and bring them back to 2015 to stop that from happening. So in 2015, while Marty is talking to the old man who wishes he had a time machine so that he could go back in time and put some money on the Cubbies because they had just won the World Series, you know, you, you had mentioned the antique store that Marty was looking in that had a bunch of vintage 1980s antiques. Little handheld vacuum they had. What else was in there? Oh, uh, there was a... I remember the dust buster. I remember the dust buster. Yes, there was a dust buster. There was a JVC video camera, which was That's the right. same video camera that Marty was using in the first one. There was, was it a Jaws video game or a Jaws VHS tape in there? I just watched this the other day. I should know. I, I always remember the, the Dust Buster. Yeah. She talks about the Dust Buster. And then she talks about the, du- the Dust Jacket on... On the Sports Almanac. Anyway, that's, you know, his idea's like, oh, yeah, I could, when I go back to 1985, because the Almanac spans the years 1950, 000, right? So he's figuring, oh, well, I can figure out who wins the Super Bowl in 1992. All right, so there is a... There's a case of uh, Perrier water in the in that's the window. Right. There is a Jaws... Looks like the Jaws video game. There is a TV. There's a Macintosh computer. Uh, there is... The jean jacket that Marty was wearing in the first movie. There's a uh, a Roger Rabbit stuffed animal. Reminds There's me a lava of lamp. Roger Rabbit. Uh, you know who directed the Roger Rabbit movie? Robert Zemeckis. That's right. 1988. That, you know, mm-hmm. before Back to the Future Part 2. Robert Zemeckis, and who is, of course, the director the of the Back to the Future movies. Back to the Future, right? Yep. I mean, it was really was in both movies. Yep. You know, both movies. The other person I was thinking about when he said that is... The guy that voiced Roger Rabbit has a cameo in Back to the Future Part 2, Charles Fleischer. And he is the guy that we were just talking about that wished he had the money to go back and bet on Chicago winning the World Series. So he's the guy that prompts it. So Okay. The, the double tie. Because they, they were double ties. Yes, they were double ties in the future for some reason. 
and kids wear their pockets inside out. Yeah. How do you put things in your pockets if they're inside out? Power laces. Yes. Power laces are cool. Power laces are cool. And uh, you remember in 2015 when uh, Nike actually came out with those? Yep. And they cost like hundreds of thousands of dollars for a pair? (laughs) (laughs) Of course. All the people that bought every single pair of drawers were probably the ones that. Yep. So the other thing they have, though, in 2015 is the cafe that was. 1950s was just your normal 50s style cafe. Yeah, but in uh, 2015, they don't really show it in the 80s. So we don't know what it was like in the 80s. Uh, they do. They do. It was a uh, it was a gym in the 80s. Do you remember? That's when he That's was he was yeah, yeah when he was skateboarding at the beginning of the movie when he was uh, holding on yeah. to the back of the of the jeep and he was waving to the ladies yeah. who were who were jazzercising in there. So the maybe they were just doing aerobics. Either way, he was waving to them. The and, yeah. And now yeah, the so, retro cafe is an 80s Yes, cafe. it is the cafe 80s. And Doc is right that it's poorly done. <laughs> yes, but, um, I and mean, I, I you can't, this, you can't go scene. wrong with when he walks in there, he's greeted by Max Headroom. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and Michael Jackson, yep. back when he was still black, yep. his waiter. Ronald Reagan is a waiter. Yep. Now they're, yeah, they're digital waiters, yep. right? And they're bulky TVs with really bad animation. <laughs> yeah, just like Max Headroom. But um, that's where we see... One of my favorite little things in there is that you know, they got the arcade game, right? Yep. Yep, which I was kids just about to, to talk about this, too, yeah. And one of those kids is who? You know who he, that is Elijah is? Wood in his first that's right. <laughs> movie appearance. His first credit, <laughs> Elijah Wood. You mean you have to use your hands? Like a baby's toy, which that it's like a foreshadow into Back to the Future Part Three. Yes, because uh, he always loved yeah. having little Elijah Wood, his little cam, his personal role. Not really even a cameo; he's not even just you know child actor got this little role, and later went on to be Huck Finn and Jojo Baggins. Yep, and North. Can't forget about North. And North. <laughs> he was also in Forever Young. <laughs> he was, and Good Son. That too. <laughs> He helped kill Macaulay Culkin. But, uh, yes, he did. But um, so what I think is nice is Marty tells the kids that he was a crack shot at that game. And then he goes and he yes. and he plays it. And, you know, it tells him that he's a crack shot. So Marty was right. that He was, right. you know. He, <laughs> now, did he say that he was a crack shot because the game always brought up that he was a crack shot? Or did he just was using crack shot as, you know, the term, you know, for being a good shot? So, but proceed to know, it's interesting how they kind of combine the diner scenes here, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. he, proceeds, he does that, he proceeds, he orders Pepsi, right? And it yep. comes up from the bar. And, and then it's the futuristic bottle. Biff sees him, right? And it's old Biff. Like, Biff is an old man. And, of course, Marty's he's getting a little bit confused because he's thinking of Biff recognizing him as Marty McFly. You know, Biff is but. thinking that he is Marty McFly's son, Marty McFly Jr., right? So, you know, it, in a lot of ways, it becomes very similar to the first diner scene back feature. Because then Drift comes in, angry at his grandfather, because his grandfather is still detailing cars for a living. 30 years later, there's a whole line, I told you never to come out here. And Griff has cybernetic implants, and there's something wrong <laughs> with them, so he's a little bit crazy. <laughs> I, I, he just might be crazy. <laughs> More than the implants. But, you know, we find, like, you know, it's Marty's like a total wimp, even different than like George. 
sure, just rather just avoid the confrontation. Yeah, but Marty Marty, Marty Junior still he he apparently doesn't know how to wear his jacket because one of the sleeves is not fitting. It's all accordion out. The auto fitting yeah. jackets they dry themselves also. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, know, for some reason, Marty Junior maybe he broke that sleeve so that that sleeve doesn't auto fit. I don't know. So Marty, Marty Senior takes the opportunity. He, he takes he takes Marty Junior's place and tells Griff that he's not going to go with him, which then causes Griff to get angry. To call him chicken, and or Marty, like of course, doesn't chicken. like being called chicken. Mm-mm. Nobody calls Marty chicken. Nobody. Just like Marty nobody chicken. puts baby in the corner. Nobody calls Marty a chicken. Yeah. And Marty tries to do the whole fake out thing. Griff was able to stop it. Yep. Griff What's that? Better. And then he swings at so Griff. Now this is where we get into the second dire scene from the first movie. Yep. Marty swings at Griff. Griff catches his hand. Doesn't allow him to punch him. But he knees him in the balls. Yeah. Knees him in the balls and runs. And this is back to the chase from 1955. The same kind of thing. Marty runs up to a couple of kids that are on hover scooters. <laughs> Grabs one of them. Pulls the handlebars <laughs> out of it. And turns it into like a hoverboard, skateboard type thing. And tries to hoverboard away from Griff and his buddies. And uh, they, of course, have hoverboards that they're chasing him on. Marty ends up going over the water in front of the clock tower. And he has no you propulsion. Have have a very powerful hoverboard to go over water. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, you have you to know. have a hoverboard with, like, boosters on it. Because, uh, yeah, which, which um, Jason Scott Lee, who plays one of Griff's cronies, points out that hoverboards don't work on water. Not unless you have power. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. So while <laughs> while uh, Marty is is just stuck in the middle of the koi pond outside of the <laughs> clock tower, and uh, Griff walks up with his case and drops out his hoverboard, his pit bull hoverboard, and it's got power. So his and buddies, they have, they can hitch a ride yes. on it too. Uh, they, all, they pull out cords uh, and they're all holding on to them. And he pulls them over. He pulls them across the water. But right as Griff is about to swing his extendable bat at Marty, Marty jumps off of his hoverboard and into the water. And just the force of Griff's swing throws them all out of whack. And they all go flying into the clock tower through the windows in the front of the building. <laughs> but did you know? And this is visible in the movie. So the stunt woman who played the female group member of Griff's, the lady part of his gang, when they're all flying into the glass, the cable that she was attached to that was pulling them through the glass, they missed the mark when they were pulling it. And she ran into the column in the front of the building and ended up like breaking her back or something. Like became very seriously injured because of it. So, yeah, so that that stunt performer ended up getting really hurt from that stunt. And they used that (laughs) shot in the movie. So if you look at it when you're watching, when they when they go flying through the window, you can see her hit the column before she goes through the window. I did not know that. I'm glad you brought her up. I mean, it's beyond that theme. I had no idea. That's kind of a really cool fact. His cronies in the 50s is no girl. There's no girl in the 1880s. Third. And right. there's no girl in alternate 1985 that we're going to be getting to in a little bit later right. in this movie. But it makes sense, right? You know, we, we, they progress to the point now, like, yeah, there might be these chicks that are bullies. Yeah. That would be hanging around, not just being girly girls or whatever it might be. 
you know, it's kind of one of those nice little nods of changing yeah. you know, what the future might be. I mean, who knows? That might be Griff's sister. It could be Griff's sister. <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah. the rest of the family is criminals. Anyway, so they fly through, though. They get arrested. USA Today, you know. They, yeah. The headline changes. Martin right. McFly so Jr. no that, longer gets arrested. There's always that kind of item that they're looking at to see if it changes. Photograph the siblings in the first one. Mm-hmm. And newspaper headline. Two, it's a headline. There's also facts. Yes, the facts. Doesn't really. And there's also. There's, but I the facts doesn't really change until the third newspaper movie. Headline. But there's yeah. two other newspapers, I guess, also that we don't see until the alternate 1985 that become the second part yes. of the movie that becomes the thing to focus on. Yeah. Movie change. So that changes. You know, that happens. He runs back in the dock. I see that future history can change. Right. Yeah. But so, then they see the cops find Jennifer. Yes, the cops find Jennifer in the and dumpster where Doc and Marty left recognition, her. Which kind of makes sense, right? That's a plausible future technology. And they, they're going to take her home. So they have to follow the cops. But Marty and Jennifer get to see where they live as husband and wife. But during all this... And they live in Hilldale. Which, which in is, 1985 was the real ritzy part of town. It was the so area where all like the rich people in live. 1955, we see Lion Estates. Yes, Lion Estates as the cool new neighborhood that's being built. Hilldale is like that in 1985. Yes, and Lion Estates, of course, is so. where Marty and his family live in 1985. But Hilldale is the rich part of town in 1985 that by 2015 has turned into the slums. Which seems kind of accelerated for a place like Hill Valley. But in 1985, as we find out, there's people with Rolls Royces live in Hilldale. Yeah, so find, Marty... Before they go into Hilldale, they talk about all of it, and Doc finds the almanac, gets angry at Marty about trying to get financial gain going into the future. That he didn't but invent the time course, machine for financial gain. He invented it to learn about time, you know, learn about different eras and to explore different times, but not for personal gain. Right. So, and I think, you know, it, it's, it, it's an interesting point that gets brought up. And I think there's, there's growth on both of them in that respect of what happens, because I think Doc does end up getting, obviously, the end, get personal gain from it. But yes, he grows wiser also. They, they both grow wiser. But uh, uh, that so he so movie. Doc throws the almanac in the trash and Biff overhears their conversation. Is he just is hiding in some yeah. random place? He's hiding. In the alley. In, he just happens I, to be hiding really in the alley. That. And uh, uh, old man just kind of hiding like that. Yeah, and that's where the whole reference to him seeing the flying DeLorean in, in 1985 comes into play because he sees it yes. again. He's like a flying DeLorean. I haven't seen one of those since. <laughs> and of course, it was since 1985. But that's how he knew. If in 1985, when there's no flying cars, yeah, you would think that you would remember seeing DeLor- a flying car. DeLoreans weren't that common either. But that'd be like a very vivid memory. Yeah, that when you see one again, you like I exactly remember everything that was happening the last time I saw that. You'd <laughs> think, but maybe Biff, but Biff is, has a terrible Biff memory. Kind of stupid. A little bit. But yeah, so that's he he somehow puts two and two together that Doc and Marty are time travelers. I mean, he did overhear the conversation about Doc creating the time machine, but (laughs) still Biff might not necessarily be able to understand that conversation. But yeah, so he gets the almanac from the trash and follows Doc and Marty to Hilldale. And in the meantime, the cops take Jennifer Jennifer to their home in Hilldale. 
And they drop her off and making all these bad comments. The cops are female cops. So yes. Male cops. Which is also kind of like another nod to like feature because in like 55 and you know what, like 80s are definitely more women cops. So just another kind of small nod of things changing. But yeah, they drop off to the home and she wakes up and obviously she's very confused. And we start to see a house of 2015. Yeah, so she ends up hiding in the closet because she doesn't want to be seen by the family in there. But her daughter, played by Michael J. Fox, hears her voice. Mom. <laughs> Mom. He comes walking out Mom. of her room. <laughs> <laughs> but then Marty's parents come in and they brought pizza. And of course, George in this movie is not played by Crispin Glover. No, he has left. Yeah, Crispin Glover got into a big dispute with Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis, and so he was not in the second movie. So they had That's someone right. else that they uh, made up to look like him. Leah Thompson is still Lorraine. Yes, only in and... older woman makeup than she was in the first movie. Yes. <laughs> well, there's a whole conversation about how Marty always gets angry. Call chicken. How that affected his life, and how he gave up his music career because of getting in a car accident with a Rolls Royce. Yes, with a Rolls because Royce. Someone dared him to a drag race. By the way, George in this movie was played by Jeffrey Weissman or Weissman, however you want to pronounce that. Okay. Yeah. So future Marty ended up having to give up his dream of being a rock star because he got into a car accident with a Rolls Royce. And so it kind so, of sets up this kind of dual thing where kind of had in the first movie, his dad at first kind of being this failure, then this pushover. And now Marty's kind of a failure as well. Yep. Kind of for very different reasons. But, you know, they draw the parallel. It's kind of nicely done, I think. And so then we uh, we have a video call. With Flea. With Flea. Yes, with, <laughs> with Marty's co-worker Needles, played by Flea. <laughs> Which is interesting. Obviously, they know Needles well, right? Yes. Because you can tell Marty knows him really well, seemingly beyond just being a co-worker. Yeah. And he's he knew him, him as a child. He while. knew him growing up. And remember, Jennifer's in the closet. She's overhearing this phone conversation. It's a, it's a video call, but much different than kind of what we obviously think of video calls now. But Needles <laughs> needs, uh, needs um, Marty to but, go in with him on uh, some illegal activities. Seems like probably embezzling funds from the company. company. Essentially. So, yeah. Embezzlement (laughs) stuff. And so, Needles calls Marty a chicken. And, of course, nobody calls Marty a chicken. So, Marty gives his thumbprint as authorization for uh, the transfer of funds. And immediately, Marty's boss calls him because he saw the transfer (laughs) and fires him on the spot. One of the things I like about this scene, one of the little details, is like when the phone call comes up. Gives the person's name, their age, occupation. And then the likes and dislikes. Yep. Yep, I love that. <laughs> yep. You know, Marty tries to spin it as like, oh, it was a sting operation. I was setting him up. His boss doesn't buy it, of course, and then gets fired. You are terminated. Yep. And, and then for some reason, they have a fax machine in the closet. My <laughs> <laughs> favorite lines, read my fax. <laughs> There's fax machines all over the house. And so they just start printing out, you're fired. And there's one in the closet right by Jennifer for some reason. (laughs) You're kidding, goat. So, yeah, so Jennifer sees the one that prints out in the closet and she takes it and keeps it with her. But all it says is, you're fired. (laughs) 
It doesn't have any other information on there. Just you're fired. <laughs> uh, it's all in that really classic late 80s, early 90s printer paper. Yes. If you're old enough, you remember what we're talking yes, about. Yes, with the perforated enough, uh, uh, edges with the little holes in yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> but then his mom sees it, right? You know, and she's like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And then, of course, he it's tries to... Yeah, it's a joke fax, Mom. Some guys at the office are playing a joke. While everybody else is out of the room, Jennifer decides that it's time to try to get out of the house, but she doesn't know how to open the door because there's no doorknob. And uh, that's just when Doc is standing at the window and tells her to put her thumb on the the pad. The window to the closet with a fax machine. Yeah, so uh, she gets out of the house and they go uh, back to the DeLorean, but not before Biff stole the DeLorean. And And right after he gets back into 2015 is when they get to it. They play this aspect well because Doc tells Marty to stay with the DeLorean. So he doesn't want Marty to encounter his future self. And just to kind of protect the car, too. And he barely walks away from it. Yeah, barely walks away from it. Biff gets in He's there. and probably like 50 feet from it. Somehow, Biff knows how to use the DeLorean. Like, he but knows how to... This is the point that I get to. Like, how does Biff use the time machine? A, to get to 88 miles an hour. And you got to turn on the time circuits. The time and you got to set the time that you're going to. And... All of that. How does Biff know how to do that? And how is he lucky enough to still have everything to get back as well? There's so many questions. He's, he's a weak old man. Which, I mean, they never they never really explained after Mr. Fusion was, was installed how many trips the trash will cause the uh, DeLorean to be able to take. Because it was one trip per piece of plutonium. Yes. But we really only ever see Doc put the trash in Mr. Fusion once when they're in the driveway at Marty's house. We never see it again. So is it, are we are we supposed to believe that that one banana peel and the Miller High Life can and what was left in the can is enough to the power beers, the dude. DeLorean, uh, you know, for however many trips they take for the rest of the series? Good question. Or do they have to refill it every trip? It's every few trips. Because there's no way that Biff would know to put trash in there. Yes. Now, it's possible that off screen... Doc could have put some trash in there while they were over by the dumpster in 2015. Yeah, totally. Just to prepare for their return trip. In which case, Biff wouldn't have had to put any in there because there would already be some in there. But if it's only a one-trip thing, then how did he know to do it to get back? Yep. Anyway, but what we find out later is that Biff had gone back in time to give his younger self the sports almanac to be able to make money on betting on sports events. At this point, we just know that he got into the DeLorean. Yeah, he got into the DeLorean. And we see him come back... And we see him kind of like he has a cane. Yes, he had a cane with a with a fist on top. His like belly. Yeah, he breaks the cane while he's trying to get out of the DeLorean, and the top part of it breaks off and falls onto the floorboards of the car. And they uh, get back in. They have Jennifer. They're gonna fly back to nineteen eighty five because they fixed the future. Which this is where you start to get into physics of time travel. Because if he's traveled back in the time and changed 1955, and they're about to go back to the alternate timeline. Yeah, into the alternate 1985. 2015 that started changing itself while they were there? That is a good question. Now, there is an explanation that Zemeckis and Gale actually brought up. When I was rewatching these movies the other day, on the special features of the Back to the Future 3 on the 4K set... There is a frequently asked questions thing okay. on there. And so one of the questions was uh, when Doc and Marty go back to 1985. And it's an alternate 1985 because Biff had taken the almanac to his right. younger self and that changed the future. So wouldn't he return when he comes back to 2015? Wouldn't he have returned to an alternate 2015? That was the yes. question. 
And their answer was he did because there was a deleted scene. Well, it, it was an extension of the scene of him getting out of the DeLorean. There was a yeah. part of that that they deleted, which was shortly after getting out of the DeLorean, we see him fade away, just like Marty was doing in the first movie when his parents were not getting together. Okay. So, in all- meaning that when he went back to give himself the almanac, when Biff went back to give himself the almanac, he changed the future and old man Biff from 2015 ceased to exist because okay. it was an alternate 2015 that he returned to. Now, they took out that part of the scene, so it's not super clear, but yeah. I mean, at that point, it tells too much right away about what's about to happen. Yeah, exactly. But was that scene in, I know, the original DVD release had a bunch of deleted scenes. Was that one of them? I think that yes, was one of them. Yes, it was one of them, because I remember watching that deleted scene. There's, there's that scene, and then the other big one that they had was from the first Back to the Future movie. At dinner, they have all that peanut brittle. Yeah. Surfing. Yeah. Right. And they, which is like always kind of a weird thing. It's just like why they pour on all this peanut burger at dinner. And it's really, it's that explains it anyway. But yeah, so that's kind of that quick thing that on math is like, yeah, like shouldn't everything, and maybe it does all slowly fade away because it's an alternate future. They get back, you know, and they're like, well, first they're like, are we back? And a big jumbo jet flies over them instead of flying cars. Yep. And then they go back. And they know but then they're it's back different because, like, you can you automatically see it yourself because, like, it looks like a demilitarized zone. Like, it's, it looks like a third world country. Yep. <laughs> and they get driving. back to Jennifer's house and There's Marty carries because she had passed out when she saw her older self. Because her older self had gotten home from the grocery store, and they both fainted when they saw each other. And so Doc ended up carrying Jennifer back to the DeLorean. And so she was unconscious when they made their trip back to 1985. So Marty took her and put her on the porch swing outside of her house and noticed that there were bars on the windows. And there were not bars on the windows before. So that was a, a hint that things were not quite how they had been. And then they're driving around, like, every house is up for sale. They get to Marty's house, and there's a lock on the gate. Yeah. Just to hop over it. But there was never a lock on the gate before, so he thinks that's weird. So he hops over it, climbs into his bedroom window, but it's not his bedroom. Some teen girl. He ends up falling onto the bed of a teen girl, who then wakes up, screams, and her dad comes into the room with a baseball bat. Obviously, uh, he's angry. Thinks that Marty was sent by the... uh, Developers. By the developers. That buy all to, the houses. Yeah. There's a Michael Jackson poster in that bedroom as well, which is kind of a foreshadow as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of little shout outs to different things. That yeah, especially since Marty had a Huey Lewis in the news poster. Yes. Not Michael Jackson. But yeah, he runs off. He's like, you know, on a dad's screen, we're not selling. And then, you know, Marty is just so confused and wants to know what year it is. He goes around here, picks up a newspaper. So he. Front porch. When he's running down the street, he picks up newspaper and it turns out that he's at Principal Strickland's house, who is no longer the principal because the school closed down years ago. And then I guess there's still... Then there's a drive-by. A gang comes by to try to kill Strickland. But Strickland's got a shotgun and he's shooting back at him. And Marty's kind of stuck in the crossfire. (laughs) And uh, And then he just, he's so confused and he goes down to like downtown... Hill Valley again. This is the part I kind of think. Yeah, it's kind of. I noticed at this time watching it, it's kind of like in It's a Wonderful Life, where Jimmy Stewart, you know, when he gets to see the alternate timeline where he doesn't exist, sounds terrible. References that very heavily, and I guess you could say that 
I don't know if this was the intention. Maybe they talked about this in the comments. You know, I, I would have missed it back then. But, you know, Biff has a casino and seems like a real estate magnet. It's got this massive casino that he built yep. into the clock tower. Yes, in a clock tower. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's this still big not casino working. hotel. He never fixed it. Called Biff Tannen's Pleasure Paradise Hotel and Casino. And, yeah, it, it's built you know, into the bikers. clock tower. So it's, yeah, like it's uh, built you know, onto the clock tower. You know, power plants and toxic dump and all these other things i get how obviously as we find out you know he will use the almanac to win a bunch of money betting on horses and other sporting events but it seems like his plan to just completely destroy hill valley doesn't make a lot of sense like i mean I, was I it was it really his plan to destroy hill valley though i Guess it was really not, just his, fa- no. his plan to be rich, and then him being rich ended up making everybody else lose their jobs because they spent all their money at his casino, and so they lost their jobs, lost their houses. Yeah. I don't know that destroying Hill Valley was really his plan. It was more just a result of his actions. Fair enough. I just wonder at some point we would think that, you know, the town's a total dump. Like, why would people continue to, maybe they're not. I don't know. I mean, you know, like have, you have a failing hotel. But and and this is also where we I mean, it's find... It's still in 85. He still has all the sports results. Anyway. But uh, this is also yeah, where we where we meet like, his his three buddies from the 50s, their 1985 selves. still his lackeys. Who are still his lackeys, one of whom is played by Billy Zane. Billy Zane. We had yes. Jason Scott Lee in 2015, and we have Billy Zane in 1985. <laughs> so... We can do this the easy way or the hard way. The easy way. I never understood that. Because <laughs> why Why put that in there? Like We can do this the easy way or the hard way. And then they it knock him out. Give, and it, as he's blacking it, out, you just hear the easy way. <laughs> I, I never understood why they put like, that in even there. think about it. They just, he yeah. just says it. And then they just hit him over the head. Yeah. But why bother putting over that voiceover of the easy way? It's just, it never made any sense to me. It's great. I love it. <laughs> but it never made any sense to me. <laughs> anyway, but they knock him out. And then he wakes up and he hears his mom's voice. Yep. Again, he thinks he's dreaming, yep. just like he and did he in the first he's dreaming. But he wakes up and there's his mom with her boobs hanging. Yes, with huge fake boobs. And that surprises like, Marty. You're, you're, you're so big. <laughs> And it turns out that Lorraine in this alternate 1985 is married to Biff. And at first, she's calling Biff his father. Yeah, that's not really true. You find out. No. You find out shortly stepfather. after that that Biff is his stepfather. And that uh, his father, George, died a few years before. And uh, and that's where he meets back up with Doc. Because they had separated. Because Doc dropped but him off. But before all his that. His mom told him where his dad was buried. And. Biff hits his mom, and obviously Mari tries to defend her, but, the, you know, the lackeys are there, and they hold him back, and they, Biff, you know, punches Marty in the gut, um, and then they leave, yeah, and then that's when she tells him about, you know, it, it, you hear it, that, you know, it yeah. sounds like they beat him up a lot, because she's like, they must have hit you really hard this time if you don't remember your dad died. Yeah, so she tells right? him what cemetery he's buried in, and Marty goes yeah. to Doc's house Doc and finds, finds him, him. And or, yeah, finds him at the cemetery. Doc has been committed. Yes. So now we have the two headlines we're talking about. You have one talking about George being shot. Yes, George McFly being murdered. And we have... Doc Brown being committed. Yes. 
Dr. Emmett Brown committed. So they're obviously the two things they want to change along with just that alternate timeline completely, right? You know, and Doc explains that there must have been the split in their timeline. Because everyone else that they are encountering would not remember the 1985 that they remember. But Doc does have an idea of how the split happened. Because yes. he knew that old Biff took the sports almanac back to young Biff uh, because he found the bag that the almanac was in in the DeLorean and inside the bag was the receipt for the almanac. And they he found Doc, er, he found down. old man Biff's cane, the top of his cane. Yep. And so that's how he knew that it was old Biff that did it. Then Marty is given the mission to go and find out when old man Biff gave young Biff the almanac. And so he goes, and old man Biff's in the hot tub with... Well, he's not old man Biff yet. He's still 1985 well, Biff now. Yeah. Middle-aged uh, middle so middle Biff. Mid-Biff. He's in a hot tub with a couple of ladies. Watching The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Uh, was Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, or was it A Fistful of Dollars? No, it's Fistful of Dollars. Yes, it was You're A Fistful right. of Dollars. Yes. And uh, he's commenting on the makeshift bulletproof vest that Clint Eastwood iron had that. in there, which is a little foreshadowing yeah. for the third movie, yes. which we'll get to when we get to that movie. But yeah, he's he's commenting on the metal plate that Clint Eastwood, the man with no name, was wearing under his poncho when he was in the showdown. But anyway, Marty that's when Marty in, comes in and turns off uh, the TV, throws the remote into the hot tub. So it's just floating there. Basically just says the words Gray Sports Almanac and kicks yeah. the chicks out of the hot yep. tub. And then Biff tells him the Biff story. tells him the story about how this crazy old codger with a cane showed up in 1955. Oh, and he tells him the date. He tells Remember him the date. 1955. Yep. There's always this thing with Marty points within the movies where he almost lets his cover kind of slip that he's from the future or from the past or from another timeline. Yeah. Which, I mean, then explains that old Biff didn't change anything in the time machine. He didn't set any dates or anything like that because that was just the previous yes. date that Marty had gone yep. back to 1955. So maybe old Biff just accidentally activated the time circuits. I, don't know, I mean, because Marty accidentally activated the time circuits when he was being chased by the Libyans. That's true. So I mean, it's possible that Biff just accidentally did it. But tells him the whole story. And like old man Biff was aware enough to say that, yeah, a crazy scientist and a punk kid might try yeah. to come back and get it. And I think it's interesting that kind of like that line, like Biff's like, never thought it would be you. <laughs> Yeah, and during this conversation, Marty's sort of walking around the room, and he walks up to a tray that has a bunch of matchbooks. Yes, that that have the Biff Tannen's Pleasure Paradise logo on them, and he takes one, <laughs> and puts it in his pocket, and that's important for that's the next movie. Very important for the future part of the movie. There's just another aspect of this too, which is interesting. I was just thinking about, but um, there's not the next movie they have later in the movie. But then Biff brings out a gun. Yep, <laughs> Biff brings like, out a gun. And then thinks that it's fitting that two McFlies would be killed by the same gun, revealing yep. that he is the one that murdered George McFly. Then he tells Marty that he owns the police. Because <laughs> they always own the police. Mm-hmm. So before Biff can shoot Marty, Marty picks up the tray that all the matchbooks were on and throws it like a Frisbee. I was going to say, he throws it like a Frisbee. And it's got, like, spikes coming out of the sides of it. Foreshadowing for the third movie. But uh, throws it like a Frisbee, and there's, like, spikes all around the outside of it, like sharp edges and whatnot. Yeah, it's like a little, like, sun. Like yeah. Silver sun. Yeah, and so it ends up getting stuck in the backrest of the chair that's behind Biff's head, because Biff dodges it. And, and he dodges all. Biff hits a silent alarm to his little buddies. And they chase... Marty's they chase to, Marty. They chase him, and then... 
Marty runs over the roof. He's far enough to switch where he's going up the steps. Yep. He goes up the roof, but Biff sees the door closing. And follows Marty up Marty's the roof. Marty's kind of stuck up there. And so Marty's getting forced closer and closer to the edge of the roof. And then just before Biff can shoot Marty, Marty just steps off the edge of the roof. Steps off. Biff's like, oh, he killed himself. Oh, oh, oh. But no, Doc was this hovering the DeLorean thing. under Mar- under where Marty was, and he caught him. And so then Biff was knocked out by the opening door of the DeLorean so that Marty <laughs> could get in. <laughs> and then it's like, we gotta go back to 1955. And Doc's like, I don't believe it. There's something about that day. What was it? Was that like the center <laughs> of the space-time continuum? Or just a coincidence. Yep. <laughs> Just a coincidence. So now we have the third act of the movie, right? So you have the first act, which is the 15. It's very distinct. And, you know, then you move into 1985, also very distinct. And, you know, it's kind of funny how both of those are very stylized. And then, yeah. you know, now we go into 1955, act three, which is not as stylized. And it gets interesting because it's a replay in some ways of what just happened in Back to the Future Part 1. But from somewhat of a different perspective. Yeah, no, like now, like Marty is the observer of it, right? And obviously we're observing him. And there's obviously other, you're seeing other things that happen kind of around it. I like kind of the alternate 85. It's funny and it's very distinctive how they film it. It's just so out there. And there's a whole aspect to this last act that's done really well because you have this kind of a dual drama of him avoiding himself, something that he just lived like two days ago, right? Yep. And then the drama of him having to retrieve the almanac, like the dual drama of that. And then kind of seeing all that through another perspective, as as you were saying. So, of course, first, um, when they get back to 1955, Doc gives Marty some money so that he can get some 50s clothes. Always love this. Something inconspicuous. <laughs> Which, of course, oh, Marty decides he's going to uh, buy a leather jacket and a black fedora and sunglasses. <laughs> I also like how, remember, at the end of the first movie, he's talking to Doc, and Doc says so he's going about 25, 30 years in the future. And he comes back, and obviously, he's just discussed all that. But he said before getting the clothes, right? He has to give Marty money. Yep. Right. Yeah. He had the right money. He can't yeah. have. He can't have. You know, like a twenty dollar bill looks different than what. what a yeah. Like, exactly. You can't have a, a modern twenty dollar bill. Got a briefcase full yeah. of money. I always of, thought that was interesting. Like, I so, always yeah. like. He must have jumped around as well beyond just that initial jump into the future. Or maybe just throughout his life, he kept some money from each version of money that came out in his lifetime. Yeah, that's true. But weren't there some from earlier, too, though? He discovered when he went into the future that it somehow procures some of this. Maybe he bought it all from the antique store. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, he gives him money that would have been available in the 1950s. So Barty finds out he goes to the only tan he can find phone book. Which is Biff's grandmother, which I think if she had that last name, she probably married. Well, no, he doesn't get there. Marty doesn't get there by looking her up in the phone book. He finds Biff after he had gotten his car fixed from being run into the manure truck. That's right. And he hides in the back seat under a blanket. You're right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And 
Biff takes him home with him and he gets unknowingly in the garage. Yep. But he observes the entire conversation between old Biff and you know, young Biff. Obviously young Biff is kind of skeptical about it, which, uh, until old Biff know, proves that he has the, the sports statistics because he plays the game that's on the radio and he predicts the winner, which I've always thought was interesting. It seems like they have every sporting event. Yeah. It's a very thin a random... almanac. It's a very, it's like a magazine. But right. it supposedly like, it has like every has, sporting event for 20 like years. Just regular, see, like, it's a college football game. Or for 50 years. Since you're on the radio. But it's got, like, every college game from 1955. Or really, from 1950 to 2000. Yeah, from 1950 to 2000, every I think NFL is what game. it is. So, yeah, for 50 years, 50 years worth of sporting events in a little thin magazine-sized almanac. All the championship games, the bowl games, you know, all your MVP winners, rookie of the years, gold medal winners. Like, you know, who won 1972 gold medal in downhill skiing, right? I mean, maybe it like, didn't... I, I, that would make sense. Maybe it was, it was all in there in the form of just... You know, the scores of the game or something like that, where it's just a list of everything for 50 years and not actually any major information on on everything. I get Biff's reluctance to that. Like, okay, what's this old dude saying? But like, I'm also like, (laughs) no, it's interesting how he doesn't get at this point. What Biff is probably like, what, 17? Yeah, 17. And old Biff is like 77, right? It's about 60 years. You'd think he could see the resemblance. You'd think. Right, Which, I mean, old Biff did tell young Biff that he was a distant relative. Yes, he, he did say that, right? So. And then young Biff tries to make the joke again about, make like a tree, get out of here. And then he's corrected by old Biff. Old Biff's like, let's make like a tree and leave. You sound like, a, you sound like an idiot when you get it wrong. Biff, what, what point did Biff learn the right way to say it? Yeah, that is a good question. When did Biff learn the right way to say that? Anyway, so this is all, again, on the date of the dance, right? So when they get back in the 1955, it's not over the course of a couple of days or a week, it's all on that date, November 12th. November 5th is the first movie takes place over a week. Yes, it's because Marty November originally went back November he goes 5th. to, and he returns back to but. 1985 on November 12th. It's all the course of the day, and Biff leaves the garage. And again, at this point, obviously, it's 1955. You don't really have automatic garage doors. It's a padlock. Yep, so Marty is locked into the, in the garage. And Doc somehow had the foresight to have walkie-talkies. Yeah, so Marty calls Doc on the walkie-talkie, tells him where he is. And yeah, Doc is trying to be inconspicuous. He's staying by the DeLorean because a DeLorean would stick out in 1955. He doesn't want to also run into his former self. It's like, I can't make it to After Dark. Finally, you know, finds a bike and rides there after dark. But Biff has decided to drive to the dance. And Marty's in the car. You know, and they're basically just kind of passing each other. Biff's leaving, and Doc is arriving at the house. When Marty has a silent enough conversation in the back of Biff's car to tell Doc what's going on. Yeah, but he's whispering very loudly. So Biff should be able to hear him. <laughs> so, yeah, that never made much sense to me. Why Why doesn't Biff hear him? They're on the way, and now Doc has to kind of go back to the time machine. But he does that by driving through the center of town. Encounters himself. Yes, he encounters himself, because <laughs> now it is after dark. 
And uh, he is very careful not to show his face to his younger self, but suggests to his younger self that he asks him if he's doing some sort of weather experiment. But yeah, yeah so younger Doc isn't sure that, there, that there's going to be any rain. And older Doc assures him that, yes, there will be quite a storm. Rain, yeah. wind, lightning, everything. Because he lived through it. <laughs> yeah. Just one day ago or two days ago, whatever, you know, it's been... Well, well for this for Doc, it was 50 him, years ago. Actually, for him, it could it, be it longer was 30 years ago. he's gone through more yeah. time. For this Doc, for old Doc, for Doc Prime, it was 30 years ago that he went through it. Yes. Because no, he, right. he, this is the first time years. he went that's back right. to 1955. Good point. Sorry, you're correct. Yeah, so, he had to live back through yeah. all those 30 years. And then he goes into the future. And again, like we said, we don't know how much time he spent in the future before coming back to get Marty. Because he said he had to track down the exact time of the event that led to Marty Jr. going to jail. And, you know, he had to have enough time to get a hover conversion done on the DeLorean, which, I mean, that can't be a quick thing. No. He also had major organ replacement surgery. Yes, he did. Because like you said earlier, he got a new spleen. And who knows what other organs... It's actually important that they explain that, considering he's kind of jumping around time and all of that. And, you know, he probably actually does have some actual age on him. Since, like, yeah, maybe he's born in 1925, right? And 1985, Doc is like 60 when that he goes into the yeah. future. But then now maybe he spent 15 years in the future before coming back maybe. to get Marty. He might actually be technically 75. Yeah. Anyway, so they had their conversation. Which could then be why he got the uh, facial rejuvenation to make himself look younger. And then do the dirty deed with Mary Steinberg. (laughs) But that's not until the next movie. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, so Doc, after running into himself in 1955, cuts to Marty is at the dance. Mm -hmm. Marty Prime is at the dance trying to get the sports almanac from Biff. This is also my favorite stuff within the entire trilogy, is like reliving the dance again. Because like Strickland is there, and Strickland's interrogating Biff. Because he sees him reading the book, reading the almanac, and he takes it from him, looks through it, ooh, sports statistics, huh? And takes him to his office and throws the almanac in the trash. Barley's in there. Strickland is drinking probably like whiskey or something in his coffee mug. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Marty is hiding under his desk. <laughs> but he, I guess you know, at this point, the almanac is on his desk. So Marty, when Marty's reaching up to try to get it, Strickland moves his chair back and pins his hand to the desk and then picks up the almanac, throws it in the trash, and walks out. Marty grabs the almanac out of the trash, thinking that he just accomplished his mission. And this is where it's important that the antique dealer was uh, mentioning the dust jacket because uh, <laughs> he finds out that when he opens up the uh, almanac, it's not the almanac. Biff had put it's had taken the dust jacket off of the almanac and put it on his copy of Ooh La La magazine. The two of them fit perfectly together. <laughs> so, yeah, he's looking through a, uh, a gentleman's magazine with a bunch of lingerie clad women in it. And, uh, and so he learns that... Of course, he's breaking out. It's like, how is he going to get this? How is he going to find Biff again, yeah. right? Which, yeah. of course, he needs to try and remember everything that just happened. He can easily find Biff because he knows where Biff's yep. going to be. He knows where Biff's going to be. He knows Biff is about to be punched out by George. Yep. So he runs to the parking lot where uh, he sees George knock Biff out. Which he wants to see it because when it actually happened, he was locked in a truck. Yeah. So he finally gets to see it. And so he runs up. And we say finally. It's like 48 hours later. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so he, he runs up and uh, takes the almanac off of Biff's unconscious body. And in comes probably my favorite unnamed side character in the entire trilogy. <laughs> I'll let you do that because the, the guy, is terrific. The guy <laughs> who is so sure that Marty just stole Biff's wallet. I think he took his wallet. He doesn't say wallet. He says wallet. But he keeps on repeating. Did he just take that guy's wallet? I think he took his wallet. But it, it's it's after Marty runs away. And he's like, did he just take his wallet? I think he just took his wallet. He took his wallet. And then just after, like, when, when people are done listening to him, he's just so sure. He's just looking around like, I think he took his wallet. <laughs> it's like the wallet guy. <laughs> it's like he's... He is, I think, my favorite unnamed side character in the whole trilogy. He seems so proud of himself yeah, about he's it, too. so proud that he deciphered that... But who is this guy? I don't know. Right? I don't think he goes to Hill Valley High School. I don't think so, either. Because in the first one, everyone's so excited that George fucking... Oops. It's okay. <laughs> we never established any language rules on this podcast. <laughs> say what you're going to say. Punched it out. George. <laughs> no. Like, there's people congratulating him at the dance. Like, he should run for class president. Why would anyone care if anyone stole Biff's wallet? Yeah. He's probably, he's been probably stealing the lunch money for the last 15 years. And he's like, I think he sold his wallet. I think he took his wallet. <laughs> because, like, there's all this that's going around it, right? He's like the one new character with all that stuff going on in 1955. <laughs> <laughs> because the rest of it from there is Biff's friends, his lackeys. They see Marty again, but he's in a different costume. Then. The costume, whatever they I forget the word, yeah. what they say. Like, he's ch- changed clothing or whatever, right? Yeah. And, like, the, obviously after him, they're seeing two different Marty. Yeah, because they see him, because they see him on stage when he's playing guitar with Marvin <laughs> Barry and the Starlighters. Yeah. Because, like, they see him in his leather getup. He gets into, like, the auditorium and then he hides. And then they see him up on stage and they're really confused. And he's wearing a suit. Right. And, you know, we're just kind of observing everything else that kind of happened from a slightly different perspective. And then, yeah, so they're, they decide to go just off stage so they can jump him. Yeah. So they can jump him as he leaves. And Marty Prime is hiding up in the rafters. He's hiding up on the catwalk above the stage and sees them down there backstage waiting to jump the other Marty, the Marty from the first movie. And before they can jump him, he drops sandbags on their heads and knocks them out. (laughs) (laughs) So past Marty notices these three guys unconscious (laughs) on the floor and just sort of steps (laughs) over them. (laughs) Doesn't really think much of it. Just sort of walks past them, just steps over them and keeps going. Because, of course, he's got to get back to Doc so that he can go back to the future. He can go back to 1985. Marty's able to slip by them, and he's kind of waiting outside. He's, it's interesting because he kind of wants to observe himself talking with his parents. 
which ends up not being a good idea because Biff has recovered from being punched out and they're having a whole conversation and you know those doors like have like the little square windows at the top so we can kind of see what's going on outside and inside they're all seeing something that we saw in the last movie and Biff talking with him and antagonizes him and again once again he calls Marty a chicken and nobody Marty's calls about Marty to leave a and instead of leaving he goes back that's when, obviously, Marty has to leave to get the DeLorean, bust the doors, and he knocks himself out. And the almanac goes flying, and Biff gets it back. He knock himself He stuns him, I guess. Yeah. He's not really knocked out. And so Biff gets the almanac back. And what we didn't mention earlier in the in 2015, which is now becoming important, was after the whole hoverboard chase, Marty went to give the little girl back her hoverboard that he had taken That's from right. her. And she told him to keep it because she has a pit bull now because she took Biff's pit bull yes. hoverboard. And so Marty the got a free hoverboard. The hoverboard becomes really one of the most important props of the entire series. Yeah. And so that he it's like the one thing that Marty takes back 2015. They throw out the almanac, which gets recovered. Yeah. Doc, Doc has a problem with him taking the almanac back, but he has no problem with him taking a hoverboard back from the future. <laughs> anyway. I mean, come Back to the Future 3, Doc is very glad that Marty took the hoverboard back with him, but <laughs> yes. we'll get into that in the next movie. No, Marty goes back to Doc Ah, let Biff get the best of me and all this. That track Biff down. I know that he's going back. So the Marty was in the car. He knows the route back to Biff's house. So they obviously they hover. DeLorean's hovering over this town in California, in 1955. I'm sure there's probably some UFO report. Yep. <laughs> some type yeah. of flying object in the sky. So they decided so they're going to cut Biff off, and Marty's going to get the almanac from him. Yep. And then they uh, land, like, right before... There's this tunnel, which we don't see in the first movie, right? We don't see the tunnel. They name the tunnel in the, the movie, I don't recall. Obviously, Marty has the hoverboard, so he can kind of try to be sneaky and hang on in the car like yeah. he does with a skateboard. Yeah, so he's hanging on the car, trying to stay out of Biff's mirrors so that Biff can't see him. And Biff's got like, the almanac on the dash. Yeah, so obviously he's going to have to get through the passenger door to get it. That's... Yeah. Not the, you know, like you can be sneaky, but up to a point. Yeah. Once you open up <laughs> the car that. door, it's kind of obvious you're there. So, uh, so yeah, so Biff sees Marty and Swerves tries to ram him into the, the wall of the tunnel. Marty drops back to the back of the car to avoid getting well, he's smashed. He's got the hoverboard, so like. He's got the hoverboard. Yeah, the hoverboard is designed to strap onto your feet. So, you know, he's able to use that to his advantage. Yes. Yeah. As so, he could be on a skateboard where he could be screwed. Yeah, so during this all this crazy driving to try to uh, take Marty out, the almanac gets picked up by a gust of wind that then puts it on the other side of the windshield yeah, up on the hood of the car. And, so you know, we, I don't think we've really talked about it, but Biff has a convertible. Yes, Biff has a convertible. So like that's how it's able to get over. Uh, it's the same convertible he was driving in the first movie when he ran into the back of a manure truck and right. filled and the entire car with Marty manure. Can kinda, Hang on to the sides easily, everything. So because the hoverboard is on, is actually attached to Marty's foot, when Biff tries to run him into the wall again, Marty can put the hoverboard up against the wall and sort of flip over the car. And while he's going over, he grabs the almanac and then tries to get out of the way of Biff. But Biff is charging toward him in a car. It's a lot faster now, than Marty can go on a hoverboard. He's 
in the middle of an open tunnel with a car inside. Now he's yeah. got to kind of outrun it. Which with a car, that's going to be hard. Yeah. And that open space. So Doc, when he was flying the DeLorean from behind the uh, billboard that he had hit it behind. Which we got um, remember. One of the wheels got caught on the flags that were on there. Flying Estates. Yes. Which was a brand new development of houses. So they have all kind of like flags. Yeah, and all the flag and like banner wrong. things that are out there. Um, so, you know, for houses or cars, you know, trying to sell stuff, right? So that's, a, that's kind of a small, important piece, but it's there. Yeah. And so um, when. when on the other side of the tunnel. Yeah. So, so when, while Doc was, was flying up from behind the, the billboard, one of the wheels got caught on that flag banner that was there. So he ended up dragging that with him. And uh, now here's, here's where, so Marty is about to get run over by Biff. And then that flag banner drops down and he grabs it and it's doc pulling him away to safety. But there's, have you heard this theory that is out there about how doc knew when to show up at the end of the tunnel there? With that flag banner? I don't know if I, maybe I know this, maybe I don't. So there's a theory floating around that Biff actually killed Marty in the tunnel. Okay. That he ran over him because Marty couldn't make it to the end of the tunnel in time. And so when Doc discovered Marty's dead body, he went back in time a few minutes so that he could okay. be there in time for Marty to escape. So I don't mean it's it, it it could be possible, I guess, but I don't I don't really I I don't know how I, I don't really like that theory all that much. I don't like it either. I like I you need something more to really support other than thinking like there's no way Marty could have survived that or gotten out in time. And just throwing it out of it yeah. because you think he didn't get out in time. Yeah. But of course, after Doc flies Marty to safety, Biff just happens to run into the back of another manure truck. <laughs> <laughs> Which and get manure I, dumped all sure over his car again and himself. Manure truck wasn't there when he was driving. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Remember, he went through the tunnel and turned around. Yeah. So now he's going the other yeah, way. Yeah, he's going the other direction. Out of the tunnel that he had just gotten. Yeah, he just and they in, didn't pass right? a manure no. truck on the way in there. But now there's a manure truck there because <laughs> Biff has to run into a manure truck. Now, keep in mind, this is the same day that he got his car back from being cleaned up from the last manure truck he ran into. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. They so runs the manure truck, and so Marty goes. He go back, grabs to a Lion Estates. Yeah, they go back to Lion Estates. Um, Marty finds a trash can. He puts the uh, almanac in there, sprays lighter fluid on there, lights it on fire. Yeah, he uses a match. From yes, he uses a match from the matchbook that he took. Palace. Yes. He used a matchbook from the from the match or a match from the matchbook that he took from Biff's Pleasure Paradise, and, and then it changes to Biff's auto detailing. Yeah, so that's and how he knew that 1985 was back to normal. Right. That it wasn't going to be the Doc, alternate. Doc sees that his headline has changed. He's been commended. Yes, he's been commended instead of board. committed. And instead of a picture of him in a straight jacket, it's him in the same with his arms in the same position as he would be in a straight jacket. But he's just shaking two people's hands at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> the other headline about Marty's dad is that he gets honored. Yes, it's George like, McFly honored instead of George McFly if McFly murdered. What was he honored for? Maybe his book, A Match Made in Space? Well, yeah. So remember in 1985, at the end of the first one, it says that it's his first novel. Yeah. So maybe he was honored because maybe, be, yeah. maybe it became a uh, New York Times bestseller. Right. 
And then again, that would have been, they describe in the movie, what, 12 years since he'd been murdered? Something like that, yeah. So the 1973, which would have been before the first novel, it would have been a headline from 1973. Yeah, but the new headline, yeah, I guess it would have been a 1973 newspaper. Maybe it was like some short story or maybe. something else Maybe, yeah, maybe. You can have a short story that's published, and then it becomes a big deal that you get a novel published. Maybe it was. Uh, maybe the novel was based off of that short story. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the short story maybe was the precursor to the novel. He just expanded on it. But anyway, so before Doc can land to get Marty to take him back to 1985, lightning strikes the DeLorean, and it jumps somewhere in time. It disappears. going 88 miles an hour. Yeah. I was wondering that too, but also, you know how the so the flames that come out when the when it goes yeah. back in time, they sort of make a squiggly thing, like sort of yes. a, a like a a couple of sixes, basically little mm-hmm. loops in there. That's also explained by Zemeckis and Gale in that frequently asked questions okay. thing, where it did actually go eighty eight miles per hour in a spin. Okay. So when the lightning struck it, it basically activated the, it sent the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity into the flux capacitor and caused the DeLorean to somewhat malfunction and it spun at 88 miles per hour. And that's how it went back in time. So it did make it up to 80 miles per hour. It was just instead of going forward, it was spinning. And that's why the flames are in like a loop-de-loop pattern. Gotcha. I Um, guess I could buy that. So, yeah. Then, of course, Marty thinks that he's stranded in 1955, and it starts to rain, and a car and pulls then up. And a car shows up. It's Western Union. And the Western Union guy was played by the dad in Freaks and Geeks. Yes. <laughs> Can't think of his name at the moment. I can't. I, 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 he, he, he's, he's such a good actor. He is. He's a great actor. He plays that role so well. Yes, he does. But he has a telegram for Marty. That uh, he and his buddies have been uh, placing bets on whether or not uh, Marty would actually be there because they were. They've had it. They've for had it. 70 years. Yeah, they've had it for 70 years. They've had it since 1885. And uh, they were given express instructions to deliver it at that exact day, at that exact time. At that exact time. At that exact Which place. I get that that would be something that within that office would be a big, 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 big deal. Yeah. And he opens it up, and it's a letter from Doc. And he spent the last seven months in 1885. Joe Flaherty, okay, is the uh, is the Western Union man's name. And just so the, I think he took his wallet, guy. That's Wesley Mann, and he is credited as CPR kid. Right, because Marty says that he's performing yes, CPR. Because Marty like, says CPR? he knows CPR, and he's like, "What's CPR?" But yeah, if you look at his picture on IMDb. He looks exactly like an older version of the... I think he took his wallet. <laughs> he, he, he's definitely the same guy. <laughs> it's just so weird. Like, he's, again, like, through all of that, he's, like, the one new character. Yeah. Anyway. But, uh, so... Doc. And Doc's been living in 1885 yeah. that he gets sent to. Yeah, so he's been living uh, for seven or eight months. Eight, seven eight, to eight months. Eight months. Something like that. In 1885. I don't know. Several months. Yeah. In 1885. It's been early 1885 that he got sent to. He's taking a job. He spent most of 1885 in Hill Valley, as it's 
you know, as we'll find out, like the early years of Hill Valley. Yeah. He's become a blacksmith in 1885. And there's more instructions in the letter that we find out in the third movie. Yes. Very soon. But uh, so the movie ends with Marty running back to the town square right <laughs> yeah. after Doc is celebrating sending Marty back to 1985 at the end of the first movie. There's a few things with this. So go back to the scene at the school where Biff takes back the almanac, right? Mm-hmm. And then Marty runs off and he needs to get to downtown Hill Valley, right? To get back to the DeLorean so yep. he can get back to 1985, right? Yeah, because... Time's very much of the essence. Because Marty knocked himself out. Yes. Because <laughs> Marty trying to get back to, to, to the DeLorean to go back to 1985 is the one that threw the door open into Marty Prime's face. And knock Marty so, Prime back. Yeah. So Marty's going, you know, you have 1955 already, right? Because he needs to get back very quickly. He doesn't have a lot of time. Marty Prime then has to spend this time trying to get the almanac back. They go destroy the almanac. Then all of that happens where Doc gets sent to 1885. This is the outskirts of town. This was established yeah. in the first one, movie, right? Yeah. He then runs back probably three miles, four miles or something like that. To get there right after 1955, Marty goes back to 1985. It just seems like that that timing shouldn't line up like that to me. Yeah, because he comes in like 15 seconds after, especially that Marty since, goes yeah, especially since uh, when Marty in the <laughs> first movie goes when Doc sends him back to 1985, it hadn't started pouring yet. Right. But when Marty is visited by the Western Union guy, the rain's coming down hard. It's pouring rain. And they do this Back to Future Part 3. It's still pouring throughout the night. Yeah. doesn't really abate. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's just a small little quibble. But you see it because like, it's raining hard. <laughs> but yeah, so but Doc is dark, celebrating having just sent... the light of the headlight from the Western Union guy. Yeah, he does. To read... Yeah, because uh, it's dark. Letter. And right. it's rainy. And it's amazing that that paper held up against that rain because it was old paper. So there's only one guy that can help me now. Yeah. So he runs back to town the, square where it, he knows Doc he, is. He doesn't ask for a ride. He could ask for a ride back. Yeah, he could have. But no, he just decided to run. He decided to run it. <laughs> I guess he was trying to make up for uh, for being too late in the first movie when he was trying to run from the DeLorean back to Lone Pine Mall. But, yeah, we, we love the scene of him being sent to 1985 again. Doc is celebrating it. He's dancing in the middle of the street. And then all of a sudden, Marty, <laughs> Marty Prime comes, comes running around the corner, dressed differently than he was. <laughs> of course, Doc is obviously shocked by yeah. all of Yeah, Doc is shocked by it. Which, by the way, we haven't really talked He's about He's like, I just this. sent you to the like, future. several scenes. What was that? He's like, I just sent you to the future. And then Marty says, Great. but I'm back, Doc. I'm back from the future. Which is going to be shocking, too. I mean, obviously he's going to find out. And we'll get into that. Yes. And then... But that's the end. That's the yeah. end of it. No. Then, then, you know, To Be Concluded comes up on the screen. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and this came out, you know, from watching this. Yeah, it was only a out, few months was, between movies, wasn't it? Between the releases? Yeah, so... Because they, they filmed they, both of them at the same time. They filmed them at the same yeah. time. Yeah, they filmed right? two and three yeah. at the same time. As we said, they, you know, there's all the foreshadowing in it. Yeah. Right? So I looked it up. I think I can't remember the exact date. It was probably like six months or so. Yeah, it was, it so, was only a few months between. Back to the Future Part 2 was a holiday release in 89. I think it was like really around Thanksgiving. And then Part 3, they waited to like, it was like a May release, June release. 
right? So you know, they, did, they did a five or six month thing, right? They did the one around the holidays and the one in the summer. Okay. Kind of like um, the way that they did. At the uh, end of it, they show clips of Back to the Future yes, Part 3. They do. They give they give sort of a, it's it's kind of a trailer, but kind of just a clip it's show. More like, of, it's more like, you know, be like, hey, here's what we have to look forward to. Next time on Lost. Yeah. <laughs> Or, you know, with Doctor Who, they how they would do that for a while on Doctor Who episodes to fill time. They would give a little right. preview of the next episode. I don't know. You know, what I mean, I used to do all the time with episodes, right? I don't know now because, like, all the best stuff is, like, streaming. But they do week to week and so they don't give the, little, the clips. So, like, you know, like, he recently watched Ondor, right? Uh, it's a great clips show. For next week's episode. <laughs> But if you're not old enough to remember, it used to be, you know, when you had episodic or serial TV, especially for like, you know, not not necessarily like sitcoms or whatever, but especially like Lost or X-Files and stuff like that. They might give you a brief clips. Yeah, the they, they would give episode. you, you know, sometimes they, they would be like, like next time on whatever, whatever show. Happen. So that you would tune in <laughs> next time. So the end of Back to the Future Part 2, that's basically what they give you. Like, this is what's going to be in Back to Future Part Three. You know, they don't give away a whole lot. They just show that it's in the old West. And, you know, enough of you know, like minor action sequences, right? But yeah, you know, there's a few other things. I was thinking about that as we just talked at the end there that he didn't get into. He obviously see Michael J. Fox is like in, within four years he's got a little bit older. Yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> and what's funny is like he actually grew a little bit between the movies. Yes, he did. Which is why you see Doc and Marty running back and forth of each other sometimes to not show that their height was closer than what it was. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's funny because, like, when Michael J. Fox did Back to the Future, I mean, like, he was past 18, not past the age where most people stopped growing, but he did grow a little bit more. But I thought it was a good way to end the middle part of it, right? Like, because it, it's a good kind of, like, shocking ending, right? They're able to restore 1985, but no. Oh, whoops. Doc goes back into the 1880s with the DeLorean. So Marty's actually still stuck in 1955. Like, what's going to happen? How is he going to get to 1885? Because it's not like he can wait 70, you know, it's not like he can stay in time. And if you've seen all of them, you know what kind of happens next with it. So, uh... It was definitely a good way to kind of get people invested to watch third one because sometimes it can be hard to get people hooked in the third one what do you do with the third one especially a lot of times like trilogy you know some trilogies obviously it is like the whole arc not always right you know it's like okay this is all played out what we're doing through and that was a good way to like really get people to kind of hook into it and done well now because what it was like four years between the first and the second as a lot which is Action, especially for like a kind of action, kind of comedy, fantasy oriented movie, a decent amount of time. You know, usually two, three years max, but four years is a little bit longer. You know, it's, it doesn't have the magic of the first movie, but it's good in its own right. You know, and I think part of it is like, I, I guess, I think part of it is because they do have those separate time periods. It's a movie with a time machine. Yeah. And they get to see different time periods with this one, right? And they play them so differently. And the movie's not that long. It's like an hour, 40, hour, 45 minutes. And it feels like, you know, it's longer, not in the way that because oh, it's kind of boring. Because each period is so distinct, each set so distinct from each other, that it's its own little piece. 
that, yeah, it allows it to kind of feel like you're watching different aspects of it, their point of views. It's enjoyable. I always remember, like, you know, this is not long after one first seeing, because I remember seeing theaters, like I said last time, that after the third one came out, my parents and my brother enjoyed that third one a lot more. Second one. And the second one has, you know, it's strange in a lot of ways. The features are very strange kind of feature. You've got this highly stylized, still dark present day, alternate present day, right? And then the past is like, it's almost a retelling of it, just from a different point of view. It, you know, it's an interesting way that go ahead with the second part of the series. And it's actually kind of daring in a way. Like, it doesn't all work, but yeah, it definitely took some chances when I just when like speaking about that right now, I'm thinking about it. I think the, the third one's a little bit safer with what it does. Yeah, I mean, the third one is pretty much, I mean, yeah, there's some 1955 stuff at the beginning, but the majority of the movie is a whole new time period. Yeah, that, that hasn't some been explored before. Stuff at the beginning, like you said, at the end you get a little bit of 1985, but like 90 percent of the movie is 1885. And we'll get into that when we start talking about the next one. But yeah, it's definitely a departure from what the other two do, and they could have easily just have done the rest of that. You know, the, the second one just like totally in the future, right? But they kind of go into the future, go into an alternate present, and then go back to the past that they just lived. You know, that's you know, that's kind of bold. It is, it's different. Yeah. It's not. I I think if I had been watching that, 1989. I'm say let's say 15 when the first one comes out. Then say about the new one. I don't know if I would have thought going that direction. Like I thought, you know, like you say, you're just kind of going into a blind. Kind of done this whole feature, alternate present, and the past. You know, what you just watched in the other movie. You know, yeah. Kind of an alternate view of the past. They do it well. It's all seamless, and you know, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd are really good, like tandem together. They they really are. Yeah, we haven't really talked a lot about that in either episode, but they they but work <laughs> off each other. They so they well. have really good chemistry. They work yes. off really really well. You know, you buy into this aspect, like especially once you kind of even get to the end of the second movie. I mean, there's parts there where like yeah, you kind of think okay, yeah, like Michael J. Fox is not really a teenager. Here, you know, it's hard to think of his character being a teenager, but kind of that mentor mentee kind of like relationship they have with each other, but also friends, yeah. really deep bond, a friendship they have all works together really well. And you buy it completely in terms of movies, you know, it's the best either of them really do. I mean, you know, they obviously both have other really good roles, both between TV and movies. Yeah, but, but it's, it's definitely them, the most memorable for both what of them. They did. It's hard, you know, they, they play off each other so well. They both just kind of live within those characters and become the characters. You invest in enough that, yeah, you're, you're ready for that third one to see what happens. Yeah. Because you don't want, you know, like, it's funny. Like, you obviously don't want Marty saying in 55 because you know Jennifer's still on that porch swing. Yeah, in 1985, which, <laughs> right? you gotta which Marty was... She's was like, concerned about that because they left Jennifer and Einstein in 1985 in the alternate 1985 and Doc assures him that when they change things back to normal everything will change around Jennifer and Einstein right. like, and they will end up in the proper 1985 of the first act of the movie and they just drop her off at the beginning of the second act and don't see her again yeah <laughs> in fact you don't see her again um, until the, the end of the movie. third movie yes <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, uh, 
<laughs> anyway, we'll get into all that in the next episode. <laughs> but yeah, you want to get back to that? Yeah, dude, no, it, it's it's done well. We're ready for it. We want to know what happens in the third one, which is all you can ask for. Especially, you know, if you know you're doing a third movie, it's all you can ask for. The second movie is to want the third one. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, a lot of times you get a sequel, and it's like, yeah, it's really meh. Okay. Like, I, I know it's going to make a lot of money, but Avatar sequel? Eh. <laughs> yeah. But see, the thing with Avatar <laughs> like, really? sequel is it's what, 12 years after the first one came out that they're finally doing a sequel? Yeah, which for is it? like the most successful movie of all time. And I saw it once. Yeah. yeah. You and I saw that one together. We did. And I wasn't that impressed with it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was Very, it was cool. They did they, cool things with the 3D in there. But other than it just being a cool 3D adventure, I, I really wasn't a big fan of the movie. And I like James Cameron. I do, too. I liked James Cameron. I don't know. I even kind of like Titanic to a certain degree. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> James Cameron does some good stuff. He makes some good movies. I'm a fan of his, but I, I don't know why he it's puts another so world. much I don't know why we into, get back into that world Avatar. Again. And yeah, like, I mean, yeah, he made some groundbreaking advances in 3D filming and stuff like that. You know, developed new cameras and everything to film Avatar. But but yeah, anyway, I don't know why we're talking about Avatar on a Back to the Future <laughs> podcast episode. Anyway, but. Back to the Future Part 2. <laughs> It's a solid, solid sequel. There's a stuff in it that doesn't work completely for me, but it's I watched it again recently. Like, oh yeah, it's always good to go back to because yeah, yeah the, the performances are great. We know we've talked about Biff a lot. Haven't really even talked about Thomas Wilson. He portrays no. all the different Biffs and yeah. his family members. He does such a great job. He does with such a great job. Yeah, like he's part of why you know he's he has a really good. For these movies, and, yeah, and and you know, um, you know, growing up, Back to the Future Two, when I was a kid, it was my favorite of the trilogy, strictly because of the 2015 sequence. When I was little, yeah, I loved that whole portion of the movie. Yeah, no, it it's the each one is so different from each other that done well, and like, and I could see some people like, oh, I just love the alternate timeline, <laughs> or like, oh, you know, it's. And I, I think for as a younger audience member, I think that feature 2015, because it's, it's probably like, you know, we don't even talk about know, cinematography wise in terms of like, like the color palette, use, right? Yeah. They're all so different. Yeah. There's a really bright feature, right? Which when you kind of think about it, it wasn't that bright when but some of the stuff they're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's dark, grindy, grimy, like downtown. It's like, yeah. And then you just kind of have the kind of classic color tone the 50s yeah right there's so much to like about it and i was thinking about it. in some ways it was i think overall the first movie is more realistic but yeah this one kind of took more of like a kind of comic book tone to it i thought i can see that yeah and then when you kind of get into the different time periods you know playing the different no you know they're very vastly different from each other anyway yeah it, it's a terrific way to kind of continue on Especially since they weren't planning doing a trilogy. Yeah, they, it was going to be a one and done. It was wildly successful. And sometimes yeah. like, you get that. As I was saying earlier, sometimes you get a movie that's not planned as a potential. Sometimes you have movies that, yeah, it's planned maybe a potential sequel. But, you know, they don't have everything planned out. And then it's successful, so then they do it. But this, and you know, I was just, really want, like I said, so we one and done. Wildly successful. Basically had to do the sequels. Sometimes when you do that. The sequel's like, eh. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the same kind of thing as like, The Matrix, where that was supposed to be a one and done. It was supposed to be one movie. They hadn't planned on doing the sequels. And then the first one was such a huge success that they made more. They made more. Now, how you feel about the sequels is up to each person, but... Yeah, we won't touch on that yet. Yeah. But pizza ovens and... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Anyway, that's, so that, that's, that's back, back, to the, future part two. back to the Future Part 2. Join us next time for Back to the Future Part 3, where we finish out the trilogy and... Uh, spend some time in the Old West. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't want to spend time in the Old West? Anyway, thanks for listening. We will see you next time. See you next time. <laughs>